right, what's going on? Neil, we're back in studio. Welcome back. Good seeing you. Episode 11. Episode 11. Boom. Double digits. We actually agree for the first time ever. Yeah. We Masterpiece podcast. Neil Andrino, Chandler Halliburton. Episode 11. Today, we're talking about a few different things. Yeah. A little bit less structured potentially than our previous episodes, but I think it's going to make it interesting. Totally. Because, yeah, there's some interesting topics here that... Well, this is something that we talk a lot about off air because you and I use each other as a sounding board for, you know, our brain ideas and our acquisitions <laughs> and whatnot. And sometimes we agree. A lot of times we agree. Sometimes we differ. And you feel that we differ on one point here. Well, we'll see about that. And then we'll just talk generally about some things. It's September 28th. So we're coming into the fall market. It's Hot. that time of year where you start thinking about the next year. Yeah. Right? Like I'm already thinking about Writing some closings in January. I had to think about... The fact that 2022 was the actual next year. That sounds so weird. Don't. Like, you know, 2022, I'm going to make all these changes in my life. I still think of 2012 for some reason a lot. And I'm like, it's like 2013. Yeah, it is not. It's not. Time is flying. Yeah. So what's going on, man? What's what's new with you? Not much. So this week I am supposed to be closing on 18 units. Nice. Um, We're having some technical difficulties over there. (laughs) (laughs) Again, for a later episode. Yeah. Um, this was the, you're still working with the financing. Is that related to that or is it other things? Financing's been sorted out. To be honest with you, I'll, I'll actually, I can pretty much say it at this point because we're just dealing with it. There's some environmental issues on one of the sites. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. So we're basically closing, it's in three buildings. So we're closing two of the buildings that don't have any issues. And then the mm-hmm. third building does have some issues. We are extending the closing to allow me to do some research on what actually, what the extent of the damage is. Um, so I get an idea of, if am I dealing with $50,000 in issues or $2 million in issues? It's not going to be $2 million of issues. I don't think so either, but I, I just want to get a gauge. And because, to be honest with you, uh, one of the banks that I work with is totally understanding of the fact that there's Enviro issues and they're willing to roll it into a construction budget. And fortunately wow. enough, there's enough lift on the property that I have room in my construction budget, assuming it's under like 150 k Which it will be. Which I, yeah. which I am suspecting it will be, that they will give me the money, they'll finance the deal, and I'll just have a timeline that I have to get it done by. And then prove to them that it's all good to go. That's amazing because I think you'll remember when I mentioned having a possible environmental issue on a property I was buying, the bank required me to wait for an entire year because the phase three was a year-long study yeah. of the of the oil movement that was around. And it came back perfectly fine, but we couldn't close. The fact that you can close the first two is amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the interest rates are not beautiful. Right. I'm, I'm starting at 999 for an interest rate, nice. but- it's that, extra, it's that extra 0.01, though, that you're saving. That exactly. Really counts. Yeah, yeah. I, I would never pay 10. No. But the bank that I'm working on to do the actual <laughs> construction with, that would actually take over the entire loan, yeah. uh, would be at four and a half. And I'm pretty Perfectly sure they're fine. willing to look, take a look at it. Yeah. So anyways, we're just working with them, being open and honest, telling them everything, and, and just trying to make it happen because I might much rather pay four and a half percent. Yeah. And, once you come out the other and, side, everyone's going to be happy to loan you that money. Oh, yeah. Whatever the, the best rate of the day is. And at this point, I'm going to clean the whole thing up because I'm like, you know what? I want to be able to do CMHC. I want to be able to resell the properties, all those things. Because you can kind of make an application to not have to clean it up, especially where it's been there for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can prove that it's not getting any worse. Mm-hmm. But then when I go to sell, the next person's going to face the same crap. The banks yeah. are not going to be super happy about it. Yeah, I think it's the difference between being a actively monitored site versus a closed site. Like I think mm-hmm. you can get something that says... It's not getting worse, but it's not necessarily good. And if the next person, if that, if that jams you up on financing down the road, you might as well just just get rid of it. Hundred percent. Yeah. So there's that, and then 
I think I might have mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it in the previous episodes, but I had bought a new house. The, the, the lake house? house? Yes. The lake house. I the love lake it. house, which also was plagued with issues on closing. Two days before I closed on the lake house, yeah, I can't remember if we did, so I'll do a quick recap. Two days before we closed on it, or I closed on it, uh, there was a water issue in the lake that I was buying on. Uh, blue green algae. Oh yeah, which oh yeah, Grand Lake. Right, right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yes. So uh, the bank didn't like that because I was drawing my well. I didn't have a well. Oh, I was drawing the water well, from the lake. Yeah. So their condition on closing was within whatever six months. I have to get a drilled well. So that's a come to find out. I know. Yes, you can t- physically drill the well for seven grand. By the time you put in the systems, draw the lines into the house, do the whole works, $17,000. Yeah, it's going to say around fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's- it's Better than algae. Everyone starts going to work with a gr- green tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, everyone that lives there doesn't give a crap. Like, they're like, it's not that bad. It's not in the water. Like, it was in one hyper-focused spot at the end of a stream. But also, in theory, if you already had uh, a treatment system on your well water, you could you blast f- that out of there, but uh, with a UV light or something, but- to then double down on this place, I go to build an addition on the side of it, and it's close to my septic. So we're taking around the septic, just taking a peek. I had the septic inspected. I was going to wave it, and I was like, no, no, we should have it inspected. It did show up with a couple little issues. There's a few branches that were broken that were supposed to get replaced. I was going to do it when it got to it. It's three grand or something. Then the new excavator guy comes in to start working on it, and he's also no septics. Pulls off the top layer of dirt off the septic. I wasn't there. I was in the States. Apparently, the septic's dead. It's bubbling up. So if septic field, if people aren't familiar with the septic field, you've got your tank, right? So your septic mm-hmm. system has the tank that stores your solids, right? All the crap you flush down the toilet, literally. And then all your liquid effluent goes up over a baffle, and then that leaches out through one pipe that then often goes to a T-pipe that goes perpendicular and is all perforated, and then that goes out into nature into dirt. And when you build, that's your actual field. And when they build those sediments up, if you have like an engineered new septic field, it's all in these specialized layers to allow the effluent to leach out into the ground and not harm anything. When your field goes, it no longer, it becomes saturated. So it no longer performs that. It holds the water. So probably he scraped that off and basically hit, hit liquid. Hit sludge. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, actually, the ground was absorbing really well. It's just like a ton of the pipes were broken. Okay. And really, the only reason it was working, he said, is the ground was doing such a good job of absorbing the fluid. He said, if oh, anywhere okay. else, he's like, this would have been literally, you're just, your backyard would have been full of crap. Right. But he had to dig up the pipe. Well, he said at some so, point. You're, you're trashing the system. Yeah. Yeah. The pipes were all broken. Everything was so. Anyways, that's an extra 20 grand too. Yeah. Except so a couple little double downs. 18 to 22 right now. Yeah. For sure. That's what it, it was 18,000. So 35,000 on those two items. And it takes four weeks to get a permit because I had to get an engineering system. But you know what? It was kind of good because I intend to probably sell the property and I am adding three more bathrooms to the house. Mm-hmm. And realistically, that old system could not handle that many bathrooms. Well, it's funny because they base your system engineering on your number of bedrooms, which is hilarious. So if that's you have weird. a system that's set up for three bedrooms, you can have eight bathrooms and all that matters is the three bedrooms. It's, it's really strange. Are you sure still about that? As last time I, I pulled a permit for them, yeah. Okay, because when I had, I was selling a house and it was actually a fixture count. They did a toilet fixture, like, amount of Really? Fi- yes. And when I redid the application, I didn't do the whole permit, but they, the engineering company is able. They messaged me with, like, some questions. That's what they asked, is how many full baths and half baths. No way. I don't even think they asked me about bedrooms, because I did add bedrooms as well. It but- used to always be strictly <laughs> bedrooms. So I'll have to look into that. I mean, the logic is the more bedrooms, the more people that live there. Actually, in theory, right. yeah. the bathrooms don't matter. Like, just because you have eight bathrooms doesn't mean you're taking eight times as many poops <laughs> like, yeah. in the course <laughs> yeah, of your true day. Enough, true right? Enough. So they 
they do it on bedrooms, but even that is is far from a perfect model. But exactly. Regardless, I added two bedrooms, two bath or three bathrooms, so I, I added all that stuff onto the the application. So now the system actually handles what the house has. Uh, and when if I go to sell, it's gonna be much nicer to say I have a brand new engineered system. And the difference between getting a large one and a smaller one, it's it's negligible. Exactly. Right? And they're digging in. Yeah. So that finally came through last Thursday or Friday. So Monday they were all out there. The system got took them a day or two to install it. But yeah, system's in now, so now I can pour concrete for the addition. Because once I poured the concrete, we couldn't get the full-size excavator in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Good luck to the next person that has to do the septic. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, anyway, so that's that's exciting. I, that, that place I bought, I was with the dream of having one weekend there before snow flew. Mm-hmm. Not happening. <laughs> um, but if I get it weather tight now, before the time snow flies, I'll be very happy. It does look really nice, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I, it's, it is a nice spot. Once it's all done, I definitely have some some get-togethers. We'll bring out one lucky podcast listener. Oh, wow. <laughs> and make them feel super awkward while they yeah, say yeah, this exactly. late cottage with the two of us. Yeah. How many square feet? Uh, right. When I bought it, it's considered like 1,800. Once the addition, everything's okay, done, so it'll it be 3,000 once it's oh, done. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big place. Yeah. Neil referred to it as his cottage when I messaged him about it the other day. So I just say, like, I'm not going to live there. Yeah. So it's it's I, it's it's half an hour from the city. So I just I don't feel comfortable making the continuous journey. People in other parts of the world are going to be like thirty minutes to the lake house, and he's like, eh, it's a little bit long for that daily commute. We're spoiled in Halifax. Yeah, we really are. I've you, never left for a showing more than twenty minutes in advance, and I've like never been late. And if you go twenty minutes in any direction, you hit water pretty much. Yeah. In Dartmouth, you trip over a lake everywhere you go. Both that direction, there's a bunch of lakes as well. Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. Like it's nuts. But it's why this area was always very undervalued. The original person who bought that home would probably have paid what? Like how old's that home? Like 50, 60 years old, if not. Oh my god. Fifty probably? Fifty grand maybe? Once upon a time? Oh yeah. yeah. I have I won't say his name, but I have someone who works uh, with me and for me on some projects. And he said he did some work for a builder developer in Grand Lake twenty years ago. And for his work that was done, the builder offered him three or four lakefront lots. Oh my gosh! Which were selling for like five grand a piece mm-hmm. for like a twenty k bill, or maybe I want to say two grand a piece, but that might be too low. I think it was five grand a piece. A lot came up on Grand Lake there about a month ago for four hundred k, sold yeah. in like three days. Yeah. And he's like, I think he's like, I took my twenty grand. I thought I was smarter than that. And he's like, I look back on it like, ah, that would have been one point six million dollars. Yeah, Waterfront this year especially has been crazy. But it was a long-held yeah. secret. There were years where this stuff was undervalued. So why has Halifax had this big lift in the last 20 months? Yeah, there's all the extraordinary circumstances of COVID and interest rates and all this. But uh, a big part of it was that we were always just really, really underpriced. Way, way done. So yeah. That's only, exciting, man. The only good news on the flip side of all this, oil and gas going to the moon. So I'm making it back on that end of things. Atta boy. Okay. Yeah. Good so, for you. I feel better about it. Are you going to short-term rent it at all or what are you going to do with it for the other five days a week? So I started like – because I got a little carried away with the reno. I'm like, do I want to put this on Airbnb? Right. I think I might contact one of these executive companies mm-hmm. and offer it as like a – for like a minimum Seasonal. three or a five-day yeah. at a, a very high rate with a lot of insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, I am putting a basement apartment in there. So the basement apartment I'm debating doing a long-term rental or just running that on Airbnb and see how that goes. But, like, the two things for me is, like, again, where I've I've kind of gone crazy with the finishes because it's my own personal place. I don't really want to just go in there and have all the cabinets nicked mm-hmm. and the trim banged up. Yeah, and, yeah. and then on the other end of it, it's like I'm not going to be there. So the investor in me can't help but not have it, it is tricky, right? You'd have to furnish it. You're going to furnish it either way, but you're going to put nice stuff in there. And then you got people in your nice furniture. Mm-hmm. It's just, 
I'm gonna end up just Airbnb and the whole thing and never going out myself. It's just gonna turn yeah. into a rental property. <laughs> <laughs> it's on it's on the MLS on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Cool man, that's exciting. I look forward to seeing it. Yeah. What do you got going on this week? What do I got going on this week? Well, I am in the process of refinancing some properties. So if you haven't listened to the cap rate episode that we just did, you won't understand exactly maybe what I'm going into. But I was told by the appraiser that my rents are too low. I feel that there's some truth in that because historically I've kept existing tenants low rent, below market rents. The market's been moving quicker than what increases I've given them, which have been negligible. I mean, I haven't increased some people in, in many years. And the reason that matters, like we talked about in that other episode, is when it comes time to refinance and they're looking at the income approach and they're looking at the net operating income to establish your value based on capitalization, they came back lower than I was hoping. And the nuts and bolts of it are that if I was just charging an extra $50, $100 a month on these units, I'd be getting an extra few hundred thousand dollars on my refinances of, of these properties. So I have to come to grips with that. I also sent out rental increase notices shortly after getting this news, um, which some people will hate in the comments. But I did, I was going to do that anyway, because I'm looking at the situation. Obviously, tenants have a lot of uncertainty. So they've been asking me, what are you going to do when rent controls are lifted? What are you going to do when rent controls are lifted? And I didn't have an answer for them. At the same time, all the expenses are going up. I need to start being a little bit more proactive on some of these things. I've got tenants who have been at the same rent for four, five, even six years. And that's not a smart way for me to run my business because my expenses have gone up in those four, five, six years. In some cases, perhaps $200 a unit. So I'm losing money based on where I was. You know, my, my business is less profitable than it was six years ago. And that's just not a smart thing to do. I've got to provide for my family and so on. I'm not running a charity over here, but I am trying to give people affordable housing. So what is the compromise there? So what I've decided to do is I'm offering tenants in one of my building saying, hey, here's the deal. You're on fixed term leases. And if people don't understand, that means that those leases already have an end date. They had a start date. They have an end date. So on that end date, that tenancy is ended. And after that, it's kind of free for me or the tenant to do what what they would like. If the tenant wants to leave, if I want to change the terms of leases, we'd have to sign a new lease. It's not a month to month or a year to year that there's a existing established tenancy. So I've approached them and said, listen, here's the deal. Regardless of when your anniversary date is, and some of you are having an anniversary date in two months, and some of you don't have an anniversary date for eight months from now, the rent is going up by $40 if you are agreeable to that. If you're not, so be it. Your lease is over. And, and you have the remainder of this time, be it two months, be it eight months, to be here. But the rent is going up a modest amount of $40. The trade-off for that is that gives you the predictability of knowing for the next 16 months or knowing even in some cases, again, where I've got tenants who have maybe only been there four months, they've got eight months remaining on this lease, and then they'll have another 12-month lease. They can effectively lock in their rent for the mm-hmm. next 20 months for a very modest $40. And so that's the balance that I'm trying to strike of, I need to cover my increasing costs. I want to be fair to good tenants. And I want to give them predictability in understandably an uncertain time because there has been a lot of talk that when the rent controls go, rents are, are going to be increased. So one building is getting a $40 rental increase on anniversary dates or on renewal dates. Another building is getting $50 a month increase because it's a two-bedroom versus a one-bedroom. And I did the quick math on it. It's like, okay, if I had done this before, 
building B would be worth $140,000 more and building A would be worth $130,000 more or something like that. I didn't do it ahead of time and I'm dealing with it now, but so be it. So this is going to be an unpopular question, but what's your hesitation on going straight to market rent? I know, Now, uh, neglecting the fact I know the 2% is in place right now and da-da-da-da, but assuming that wasn't in place – What's your hesitation on taking people to where the market's at? Um, I think it's twofold. One, I do feel a certain obligation to these people. I may be more sentimental and more – Neil's eyes are falling out of his head right now. I'm just asking. No, no. I, I do see an issue with displacing people that I've already built a relationship and I've already come to rely on and I feel are good tenants. So the difference between, say, a $40 increase as opposed to a $140 increase – I'm okay with that in this moment, and it's part of a larger plan that I have to do that more regularly. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to have a situation now where I, I don't do annual rent increases. Yeah. So this is going to be a one-time catch-up. Make it and, more and then, routine, and then you can yeah, make, make it more routine. But I have felt, to be honest, a little bit of a responsibility like to not displace people on mass, or not to price people out of the place that they've agreed to live with me in this kind of shared relationship. I've never believed in rent control ever. Yeah. And I still don't. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I don't believe in being fair and working together and yeah. the benefit of having a good tenant and all these things. I believe in those I always have. Like, I think it is important to provide people with, with housing and, and all these things. I just don't agree with someone dictating what that's going to be because I'm going to protect the autonomy of my business to cover myself as business situations fluctuate. And there's still going to be people that change over anyway, and those are going to be put to market rents. Yeah. So that's a part of rent control that is really stupid. Like a unit comes vacant and you can't put it to market rent. I know there's going to be some of that tenant loss organically anyway. Okay. And I'm just asking. I don't, I'm not necessarily saying you should be going to it. Also, put it in perspective, I know I'm, I'm painted as a, maybe a bit of a devil online, but uh, I have tenants that I've had for years and years, and I'll, I gave them, like, one of them I gave a $15 increase this year. Yeah. She's in the 700s. Her rent should be, like, 1100 mm-hmm. but she's been super good, takes care of some stuff at the property for me, no complaints. I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I same thing. I'm not, I don't need to displace you. It covers my bills. I'm doing a little bit because I'm on the same note of like, first of all, if I ever go to sell the property, I'm going to get screwed. And or if I ever have to do anything like this year, we had to replace some decks, two story deck. It was like freaking eight grand or something. Like it was absurd. And I was Mm -hmm. like, holy crap. Like, so now now I'm making an extra 20 bucks a month. I'm getting 250 bucks a year. Maybe I'll pay that deck off in like never because I'll have have to put a new one in before I pay it off. So anyways, but. uh, But what do you do with your more recent tenants who are maybe were closer to market? 12 months ago, but let's be honest, the market has shifted. I'm going to increase those. So, like, I have buildings that I turned over recently. We we rented them at market rents at the time, and we have some that are leaving. When they leave, we obviously go straight to market rent. Yeah, 100%. The ones that are staying, we're doing the same thing. It's modest increases, like 50 bucks. Yeah. Like yeah, it's the same. It's it's the same model. Then that, that's kind of what I'm doing. But, but it, some it, of mine a, are further, maybe behind market though, because some of mine have gotten. Well, and this, this is, is the challenge. Yeah. Is and if you don't, you're kind of screwing everybody in the same sense because at some point it's going to come back to get them. Right, because now they're completely in this idea. Like I know eventually, like okay, someone's gonna have to hit them with the market rent, or mm-hmm. they're gonna get booted out, and then they're like completely screwed. Whereas if they've been paced up to it, it's like you get used to it, and you learn how to handle it, and you learn to work for it, and those kinds of things. Yeah. So I, it's kind of a thing for everybody. And the ones if you there is no building in this city or any city where the rent just hasn't changed in twenty years, and but the condition of the building is perfect. Oh, 100 percent. If yeah, if you're yeah. in a building where your rent hasn't changed in whatever amount of years your condition's gone down 100%. Like there is just, 
you can't I, physically do it. I had this discussion with a property manager I know just the other day. It's like, well, these are the two options. Either you do this work and the rent has to come up or you never do anything. And she laughed about a landlord that we mutually know who does nothing. Yeah. And the buildings get progressively worse. And with that comes crime and all these things yeah. that have happened in these properties, right? Like you have to maintain the structures. And as the cost of maintenance goes up, the rents have to – they have to go up. Um, I think that's a great example of if you've, if you've had the same rent for 20 years, the building has gotten worse. Yeah. No there's no way that you're that. in some fancy, beautiful, brand new lobby and all these things are done and there's no issues, no leaks, no – everything's great. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I've been going through that and sending those letters out today and tomorrow and then I'm still progressing through due diligence on that eight-unit property, which I'm – now, having gotten these appraisals for a similar product, I'm now more laser focused on what my exit strategy is going to be for that property and what I have to spend to get it out. Niels. This is a great time. This is a good segue, yeah. To the property segue that Neil thinks I shouldn't have bought. Into why I'm saying what I'm saying, which is I'm just going to say it. I don't think that even if it's a good deal, that you should always get it. Chandler likes to say, what do you say, Chandler? I say that. My advice when people ask me about opportunities and they say, what about this or that? I always say, don't think in this or that. Think of how to get both. And I would say, definitely pick this or that, or sometimes do neither. Okay. Now, and, and it is it is goal dependent. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have the floor, man. Let's see. Okay. I, I'm All right. So it's goal, it's goal dependent. And then this, and this, this is because my goal, I'll explain. So first, my goal... In this business is to grow the business mm-hmm. uh, and expand and become whatever a large provider for housing uh, and have a lot of units. Okay, and 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 that was from the start, from the very beginning when I flipped the very first home to today. That's kind of been the hyper idea. Getting there, the path has changed a little bit, but the same concept of growth applied. Okay, and it, it's been with every business I've ever done. And so my concept, my idea is, is that if you sometimes you get into a good thing. So for example, you flip a house. You make your 50 grand. You're like, sweet, I know how to do this. Let's do it again. But pause for a second, okay? Yeah, you might have a great deal on a house flip, but now there's a there's a multi-unit that you can buy. You can do the same thing, but your flip's going to be substantially more profitable for you, and you're going to be able to grow from there again. So, yeah, you could do the house, but then or do the multi-unit. But, okay, maybe if you stretch yourself, you can do both. But then this is where the next thing is. It's not just the monetary value. It becomes the time value. Okay. You start to, okay, so now you could do the multi-unit in three months, be done, and move on with your life. But now you've bought both, and now it's going to take you six months to do the both of them. And you start looking at the time value and the opportunity cost on your money. That's my big thing with all of these things. When I face an issue, I'm so I'm so blown into the water because I'm like, not only is this costing me 10 grand today to make this fix, that 10K would have made me X and in a certain amount of time, and it's going to impact you. My thing is it's going to impact you exponentially as you go up the rungs. So how do you... How do you try to calculate that opportunity cost? Um, I love the idea of opportunity cost because I think it's just very interesting and it's, it's how we make decisions whether we know it or not. How do you try to establish that opportunity cost when you never know what's going to come up across your desk next? So, I mean, obviously it's not a perfect science and sometimes there's mistakes that are made. But typically my big thing is not only – I guess it's not necessarily even looking at purely as an opportunity cost. It's also what's the objective in the, in the, in the long term? Like does this feed into what I want at the end? So I didn't realize it. Like I know there's vision boards and all these different goal boards. I never really formalized with one of those, but I'm very big on like these are my different years and this is what I want to have by the end of that year. And I run that through my head through everything I do. 
So if I'm looking at a six unit, I'm like, wait a second, does this play into what I want to do? Like, I want to build brand new apartment buildings. I want to build a 30-story building. Does buying a six unit play into that? At the first few, it did because I had to build that base, get the cash flow, get the established whatever to go out and buy the lot and be able to get approved to build my first 50 unit. But now, is it still playing into that? No, because I could still go, like whether I have that or more, I can still do it. And then on the flip side, the opportunity cost for me is, okay, so I put this money down now. I'm Once I turn it over and get my money back, great. But if I don't, it's it's going to be all the time and headache. I might miss out on opportunity. What happens if I put this down, so now I'm a little tight on cash. Tomorrow, a 50-unit lot comes up. It's banging. It works perfectly. It's on Windmill Road with a car dealership on it. And I don't have the cash to put down right now. Oh, that was actually a little I, – I just realized what you did there. Yeah, Neil's, Neil's – Egging me on here because there's – I mentioned that I don't have the cash available right now to finance this lot purchase that I might have done otherwise. I see your point. Question just to put you on the spot. <laughs> Tell me how these environmentally contaminated six units fit into this thing where you sort of said you don't really want six units necessarily. So this environmental setup right now, this is this is absolutely traumatizing me in a sense of the opportunity cost because it is a massive delay. First of all, it's a huge cost. Mm-hmm. It's going to take years to remediate. The remediation might only take a month, but it'll take years before I can get to a point of being able to get proper financing. Really? Well, oh, crap. Okay. I have to go through fixing it. Then I have to prove right. for a year that everything's all good. Right, right, right. Right? Yeah. So if 18 I admit, months anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's what he, I talked to the guy yeah. on the phone. He said, it's, it's going to be at least 18 months. Mm-hmm. So he said, get two year, get a two-year term with the bank right now. So we talked a lot about exit strategy. And what you're saying is your exit strategy is kind of screwed on that because you can't pull that equity out as easily as quickly. I went yeah. from a six-month exit strategy to a 24 month. And to put that in perspective, mm-hmm. I'm going on a shopping trip in about a month and a half to the States. I'm so glad you mentioned this. Yeah. To go look at apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I was going to go in a month and a half, maybe make a pick while I was there, but potentially put an offer within a month or two, start my due diligence with the understanding that I'm going to be refinancing my other properties in six months time from now to purchase those. So now I'm still going, I've already booked the whole trip, but that's a huge li- li- like setback. So now I'm not going to be able to buy that 100 unit when when I go down there, and so now I've now been I've been set back, and so like that is a prime example of well, this is a poor due diligence on my part. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. rolling the dice. There's a lesson to be learned there for big sure. Big lesson to be learned, but it's it's absolutely destroyed my ability to now move forward. Okay, so does that mean you regret purchasing these buildings? Uh a little bit, yeah. Okay, I actually do. Okay, see, this was going to be my entrapment. It's going to be like, no, well, I no, I like I'm still glad I glad I did blah 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 because I feel like. My, I, I want to clarify my um, my rationale behind what I said, which is don't fixate on doing one versus the other. Try to find a way to do both. I'm talking about legitimate opportunities there. I'm not saying this is like a yard sale and you're just buying whatever's there that you don't need. I'm just trying to talk about a mindset shift of not being limited to only purchasing one thing and feeling like I have to put all my eggs in this basket because – if you change that thought process, like you mentioned, you're not big on goal setting and you don't have a board in your office and all these things. I like However, goal setting. I just haven't formalized exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. You, you do think that way. Yeah. And that switching of the mindset is huge. So I think just answering that question to people of why why or should I do A or should I be, do B? No, think of ways to do both. If you are think those are both really valid opportunities, try your damnedest to capitalize on both of them. That was more where my logic was coming. Now, do I understand where you're coming from that maybe 
essentially you're saying is as a as a, a friend and and someone who who's looking out for me and I do appreciate it that I should be thinking bigger on some of these things and pivoting my attention to what matters in, in that I've got all of these sites that I haven't yet developed. My counter argument was. I do have this gap in my schedule. I do have the liquidity to do it. And I genuinely felt that having assessed the situation, I could take this money, run this parallel to what I'm doing elsewhere and get the cash back out in the same 18 months and be no worse for wear, effectively have gotten the property for nothing and have a well-performing good asset moving forward. I think where I'm starting to agree with you is a little bit on the time opportunity cost and mm-hmm. the mental bandwidth. The cash, at the risk of sounding cringeworthy, like the cash is not the issue. Yeah. Granted, now I'm going to be pot committed to that and I maybe couldn't make that land play. But frankly, if I really wanted to pursue that land, I, I know I could make it work. I-, I could find that equity to do that. So there's an opportunity that I am passing on. Also, <laughs> take that, buddy. <laughs> so, yeah, and I want to I wanna touch on on two things there. Uh, well, one thing, like mental bandwidth, we haven't talked about that quite yet, but that is a huge yeah. one. You And I think you, you realize this again this year in a big way, and I, I saw it, is if I'm too focused running around on these certain things, I'll say are small things, again, like things that could either be delegated or don't need to be dealt with or shouldn't I shouldn't be bringing myself to deal with, I just need to be able to pass up on then I could focus on the bigger things. You actually get the time to sit back. I realized that when I first started in business, I had so much time. I used to write books full of ideas and concepts and run projections and do all this stuff. I don't do any of that stuff anymore because I don't have time and I'm so busy just getting through the projects I have on. And then it seems like, well, in that six months of me working on a project, one other one slips into my lap and then I'm like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I grab it. And then I'm just in this relentless cycle. Mm -hmm. But then I start to forget about the step. Like, okay, I I need to level up. And if I want to level up, if I want to do, I'm sure, I don't know what Grant Cardone talks about with this 10X, but like if you want a 10X to steal that and hopefully not get banned, then you have to be able to step back for a second and be like, okay, whoa, I need to step back from this business. I need to like finish this out, kind of figure out where I'm at mentally, save some mental bandwidth, like know what your capacity is and make sure if you, it's good to operate at a hundred, but only like you need to be able to step back to like 70 once in a while or 50 for more than like an evening and more than a week. Like you need to be able to step back for like, a month at 50% and take some time to have like that ability to think and be like, okay, where am I going with this? And again, this is on business stuff. I'm talking business primarily here, but where is this business going? Where is this, where is these investments going? Is this what I want to be doing? Am I doing the right thing? Like, am I adding too many rungs to this ladder? Do I need 800 rungs to go up four floors? Probably not. Or, or it's like, am I stopping at level four and just building like a really big level four at the expense of levels five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. yeah. And and this is something you and I have talked a lot about off air and and I feel like we're getting into a therapy session here because this is something I struggle a lot with because I'm hyper competitive and you and I work mm-hmm. in this industry. Real estate sales, I'm sure someone listening to this is either in real estate sales or is interested in it. It is probably the only profession, I guess product sales in general, if you're a sales rep, at the end of the year, you sit in a room together and effectively read out how much money everyone made. Yep. Like that is a weird situation. Yeah. And you are celebrated on a prorated scale based on how much money you made. And that's kind of hyper-capitalism. That's sort of the world we all exist in in some twisted way regardless. Yeah. But to do it on such an overt way sitting in that room and doing it is is strange when you step back and think about it. And it's something I've struggled with because it fuels the competitor in me and – 
I win. And you know, <laughs> right? Like a, a lot. Like let's. Yeah, you did. Right? You like, are. You are. Yeah. And but I've had years in the past where you know maybe I wasn't first, maybe I was second or third, and then I would say to myself, "Go, yeah, but I bought like two buildings last year," and and I would find myself making either excuses or legitimate things I've noticed. You know, yeah, giving myself credit. But man, in that room, in that moment, it doesn't matter what Nobody else you did. Cares. Right? Doesn't matter if you have a new child doesn't matter if you took a year off to do charitable work around the world. It doesn't matter if you got 100 units. In that moment, all that matters is how much did you do in this narrow box? A specific business. And I enjoy the business and I enjoy being successful at it. But it is something that I think we both struggle with. Like, okay, that is a conveyor belt-based uh, income stream. You put yep. a deal on the conveyor belt, you close it, you cash it boom, you have to put another one on. And we're talking a lot about on this show and, and in general, long-term equity growth, scalable business, not yeah. conveyor belt business. And yeah, I, I mean, it's something I've struggled with from the jump and you and I have talked about and you've done a better job of stepping away from that through systems, but it is hard to say, well, I'm going 100% and if I go 100%, I get this over here. If I back off, to 75%, I'm only going to get 75% or really 50%, but it's to then build something with that other 25% that's going to surpass the other thing. And it is, it's tricky, man. It's tricky. This is, that's a bit, I'd say that's a, a, one of the trickiest parts, especially if you're in business, you'll get this, that, so you're operating here, things are going really well, or things are going at a certain pace and you're like, okay, I now have to step back. So I have to slow down. So I have to reduce my income stream, reduce my potential, like the pride in what I'm doing, make my business a little bit worse there for a certain period of time to be able to actually grow to the next step. Mm -hmm. It is super hard to do so. I'll say for me, like engineering, I had to quit engineering to become a real estate agent, which was yep. at the time perceived to be a big step down, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> no, listen, man, I hear you for you sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, it was a pay cut. Like yeah. I went from making six figures bi-weekly to my first, no, no, not bi-weekly, not bi-weekly. Bi six figures on a bi-weekly pay schedule. <laughs> six figures on a bi-weekly pay schedule. Shit, I should yeah. go back to engineering. Yeah. Now, uh, six figures on a bi-weekly pay schedule to not like a, yeah. a five-figure, like randomly, like one month I made, whatever. And then the next month, next three months, I didn't make any money. Mm -hmm. um, so that, like, that was a huge moment. But again, I knew that I had the potential to go to the next thing. And so in that time, I was able to build into a business that grew to be much bigger than the engineering. Now it's the same thing. Like I'm now wanting to step back and transition in what I sell. And so this year I had to take my foot off the gas and it pained me. And I know I lost clients. I know I lost a bunch of business and it was so brutal to like watch these deals slip through. Mm -hmm. You listed some houses that I was supposed to list, but I just stopped responding mm -hmm. to my clients and I just let it like slip through. Let that be a lesson to all Neil's clients out there. Yeah. Just so you know. <laughs> Chandler's, always, up the Chandler's always available. No, but. And, and yeah. so that I think for anyone who's in business or even if you're just like, again, you're working a normal job to take that leap and, and. I have to make the switch. You are going to go down a bit for a minute. But again, you're building a base to grow to the next step. Mm -hmm. So again, relating back to what we originally said, that's why I don't think it's always good necessarily to keep just going with the same system if your intent is a certain level of growth. For some people, like I have a bunch of clients, they love the like, okay, I buy this house, I convert it into a two unit, takes about a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. maybe two years, and I'm happy to do that. And then like yep. they'll, they'll take their refi. They're not going to go shopping right away. They'll buy themselves a truck. Uh, or, or like trade in, trade up or whatever, uh, enjoy the time, stabilize, and then begin to reshop. So if that's what your objective is, totally fine. But I guess in this context and why we disagree, we're both very growth-oriented people. And I think, again, some people listening are. And so my thing is, is that it makes more sense. Yeah. And 
some people, it, it is all about your, your contentment and what your goal is. I had a really good chat with a buddy of mine, one of my favorite people to talk to about just anything really. And he runs his own business. And I was just venting the same sort of conversation with him. And he said he's resigned to the fact that what he does for a living, and he does great at it, and he runs these businesses and they're very successful, he's resigned to the fact that that is going to make him X dollars a year, period. Mm -hmm. That's all he's ever going to be able to make doing that. But what he's bought back is his time. He has now set up these perfect systems where what he does, he might go in for two hours one day. He might go in three days a week. He might take five days a week off. And it's allowed him to have a really positive relationship right now, do whatever he wants with that person. And for me, that gives me anxiety because I'm like a shark. If I stay still, I'm, I feel I'm going to get drowned. Yeah. So I would want to take his business and make more and more. And he's just realized that – that is the perfect balance for him, right where he is. And so his isn't grab this, grab that. He did all that at one point. He took advantages yeah. of these opportunities, and I'm sure he passed on some things because he's now found his his cruising speed of what he wants. And I know you and I are wired that the idea of a cruising speed sounds like slacking. It does. And then we envy these people who have this time and live this great – balanced life, as people call it. I hate that term, but... Well, but, you know, on the flip side, for me, the end goal of this is to cruise. Mm -hmm. Like, at the end of the day, like, I'm always going to want to work, yep. but I want to be able to enjoy life. Like, working is not everything for me, and I think for a lot of people, it really, it becomes it, but I don't think it's really what their intent is. But yeah, to what you're saying, that's the other thing, is it's not even necessarily just if you just want growth. I, I kind of made a mistake there, and I'm glad you pointed that out. Even, okay, so let's say you don't necessarily want to grow anymore, but now you want to be able to step back from the business, right? So you still want to produce the amount that you're producing now. Maybe it's time to step back. And I mean, again, we not necessarily for you, but create a team, C put the systems in place that allow mm -hmm. your business to do what you want to do, but now with less input from you. Yeah, or or recognize that that step back, and the step back is always in in profits, right? That the reduction in profit is yeah. offset by some free time to either enjoy something else or take that. Then the the income profit loss is returned in a time profit gain, if you will. Like you've yeah. got this time over here that you can then devote to something else that maybe actually makes more money to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. And it doesn't say you have to. Like if you set it up really well, okay, so now like you're whatever, let's say you're making a hundred grand and you want to make two hundred, or you you're let's say you're making two hundred grand, you gotta set back to a hundred, you add two people on, now you make three hundred. So you pay the extra hundred pays them, you still take home your two hundred grand. Yeah, I, I can just say for what we do that model doesn't doesn't work, and I'm not trying to put anyone blast like these teams yeah. out there. They they don't make. They're very difficult. Yeah, yeah the, the person running the team does not make more money by having a team. At least, I mean, show me that person. But they yeah. they do get more time. I'm in one of these kind of hidden groups for volume based production in our, our brand, which is Remax. And someone posted the other day that their profit margin for their team is under thirty five percent. It doesn't surprise me. It, it, it doesn't surprise me either. But as someone who's like a lone wolf, right? I've got. You know, a couple part-time assistants, and but it's it's just me. The idea of only making thirty-five percent on the dollar spent is just blows my mind. I can't imagine having a whole team and a whole system and, and still working in the grind every single. Day. Now, it'd be different if I was hands-off. You know, I don't do anything. The thirty-five percent rate of return is good on on investment if you're kind of not doing anything. But I'm still tempted by the. You no, know, I'll just go out there and I'll get a hundred percent of it. Right? That's just. How I get I am, it, but I get it. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I think this is something that you and I were learning about this year a lot with referring business too. 
Yeah. And I, I see it. Like sometimes I – at first I was loving it because I regained all of my time. Mm-hmm. But then on the flip side, when we got paid, I was like, oh, this yeah, isn't yeah. that exciting anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, I get that there's a, the give and take. I guess this is really for somebody if you're not feeling super content with the setup that you have and you feel like you're running nonstop or something like that, I think it's really good to be cognizant and really – like I said, either outline your goals. And the goals don't necessarily, again, have to be monetary. It could be a time-based thing or whatever you want it to be, a relationship status. Those things, you kind of need to you need to step back. Otherwise, you're never going to get the time to look at them. Yeah, yeah. And this is the other challenge with our industry. It's all calendar year, yeah. right? And I'm always like, oh, I'm just going to finish with this year strong. That's going to reassess in oh, January. <laughs> yeah. you, you, know, you come into the year blazing because oh. you want to get your numbers up. You might slack off a little bit in the summer because you're like, oh, I'm doing good with my numbers. And then you're like, oh, God. I have to go in hard this fall. Yeah, because yeah, they're both to publish this thing that says where everyone wants. And yeah. it's uh, – yeah, I, I like motivation. I like competition. But, you know, if you're trying to accomplish something over here and something over elsewhere becomes not productive towards it, you do need to pivot. It's just a hard thing to do. And I guess in the grand scale, I have these two opportunities before me, the one that I've got right now that's making me X and then what I'm trying to grow towards over here. And I'm trying to tell myself to do both and – what you're saying, rightly so, and what I'm coming to realize is that I don't have the time and energy to do both. Bandwidth. Yeah, I'm going to have to shrink the, you know, what I've done for the last 10 years in order to do what I really want to do over there. I guess just to defend the position, <laughs> I wasn't saying buy anything and everything. Some of the best deals that I've done have been the deals that I didn't do. You know what I mean? Like I, I've, I'm sure you have properties that you offered on, especially early mm-hmm. days, and they didn't get accepted. And in hindsight, you're like, thank God. Oh, yeah. I didn't get that. I've got oh, a couple yeah. of those in, in the closet too. However, the flip side of that would be anyone who was waiting for an opportunity the last 18 months and said, no, no, I'll find something better. How'd that work out for them? This is true. This is true. One thing a, a small-time developer here said to me once when we were working together years ago, he said there will always be another deal. And I kind of took that with me, and it's actually been helpful because when I started, I was so desperate and so horny to get in that any deal that seemed like it was making good money and I felt was a good buy, like if I didn't get it, I was so regretful and like it just ate me up. And it got to the point where I was almost making poor bids and like going after the wrong stuff. And then he said that to me, and I was like, you know what? That's not that's like that's not the worst idea. And and I've seen that now because I've I have passed on some like small port like a thirty unit portfolio, small things like this and that, and like they were okay. But then it did work out that I was able to like, okay, there was some better things that came to the table. And I'm glad that I passed them. Like you said, like it didn't it didn't necessarily make sense. And they they would have been okay. I would have done well. I would have grown. But it would have muddied up my water for a certain amount of time that just wasn't worth it. Yeah. And again, I think just to contextualize what I was saying, it is a snowball. So you do want to get in earlier. And maybe that's more applicable to people starting out. You never want to make a bad buy though. Like we talked about in the Burr episode, all you make money off is the buy. So you have to be careful about that. I guess as part of a larger conversation about not being paralyzed by analysis, like you want to try to do something, you want to start to get the ball rolling and you should do what people do, which is at every incremental level, look back, reassess and try to figure out okay, I've done that. Now, am I repeating that or am I trying to scale it up? I mean, for me, it was my sheer stubbornness of buying a property every year until finally when I bought the fifth one, I was like, man, I had to pay $100,000 out of pocket plus like another 40 grand to renovate it and blah, blah, all this mm-hmm. thing for two units. And that's what it really sunk into me. And, and I've got a mentor who always says, how bad does it have to get? Like, how bad is it going to have to get before you change? Yeah. And you know, I can hear him talking to me about like my current situation and how 
you know, spread thin I am working. Like, well, how bad is it going to have to get before you change it? Yeah. And people have a pretty hard threshold to this. Some people will do exactly what they are doing for a long time, but before they change out of it. But turning the spotlight, because I feel this has been very Beat much a diagnosis of, of my situation. Yeah. How do you reconcile that with the fact that you, what, picked up these three, six units, are going down to the States to look at something else that's different, working on your lake house that you don't know necessarily what you're going to do with it. And didn't you like just buy a house for speculative land value that you have to buy off all the neighbors around? Like how do you – Deal with all that because I'm out here being an idiot and shotgunning like crazy? Uh, well, just on like ex- – Yeah. Okay. So and I was going to say, to be honest with you, like right now, and this is another proof of concept, uh, a 70-unit site came to me in a great location that I want. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get rid of Like I have three 30-unit development sites now. I don't necessarily want any of them. I'm like, you know what? This is – it's a step. It's a rung in the ladder that I don't need. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the stuff I'm going to start turning over. So what I'll probably do is go out and get the permit and sell off the permit because I'm realizing, like, you know what? I don't need this and it's not really part of my long-term play. It kind of seemed like it was needed at the time because when I first started getting into those, I was still playing with three units and six units. So a 30 made sense. But now, okay, I'm buying 20s. And I can kind of skip that and go straight to like 60s and 70s. Yep. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to sell the 30s, hopefully make a profit on them. Because again, I made sure I got a good buy that even as a permit, I can make money on them, sell the permits, make the money and use that towards my, my 60 or 70. And so I've been thinking about that a lot, honestly, like literally two, three days ago. And on the flip side, I don't want to be in a position where my permits start to fall behind. I'm going to hire another person. And I'm like, look, I know what kind of profits I can make on these. I'm going to hire someone. Like, yeah, it's going to it's gonna neuter the return a little bit. But I will also probably see the money about a year in advance because if I try to handle dealing with these applications and everything, they're going to drag on and on and on and on because I don't even have time to get the meetings in and do this and yep, that. And so whereas if I hire somebody, they're going to be all over it, right? And they're going to make sure it gets done. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring somebody on and they're also going to help me with my current projects and with these ones. And I'm going to consolidate and sell a lot of the small stuff. And then focus on the bigger on the bigger projects. And that's even the objective with the states. It's just to go bigger, quicker. Like I have a certain amount of doors that I want to get. So I'm just going to race to get those doors. Mm-hmm. And like real estate's my not my be all end all, as funny as that sounds. Like again, I think we've talked about this before. Where real estate's kind of a, a way for me to build some security, some financial freedom. And then I'd like to go and try other businesses. I love the challenge of trying to grow a business, mm-hmm. right? So this was just like real estate's a really, I don't say simple way, but it's a fairly simple like standardized way to grow wealth. And so that's like, I'm working on doing that now and I don't want to be doing this forever. Maybe I will on the side, but I want to be able to take it out of that. So that's why, like, it's funny you say that. That's as I was doing this, even already, like I made that most recent acquisition and it was a house. It's a, it's a development play. Assuming I can get the neighboring properties. Even if I can't, I think I can still sell it. No problem. But it, yeah, I was thinking that today. I was like, you know what? Even once I get all the neighboring properties, this isn't big enough anymore for me to even. Yeah, when we talked about when we talked about doing this episode, I'm like, man, I'm going to squash him with the fact that he's buying up random stuff. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you're very self aware, and and the difference between you and I is I'm self aware and don't change anything. You're <laughs> self aware and actually take steps to change it. But this is why I like being around you, and and this is why. You know, we've referenced many people that we've talked to about this very issue. Surround yourself with people that are thinking about these things and trying to grow and and trying to find more success in their life, whatever shape that may be, because it's going to help you work through your crap, right? Yeah, that's 100%. And that's, yeah, that's that's a big thing. Like, I don't know. I guess for me, I'm growth oriented. Again, but I don't think, I think the message shouldn't be lost in the fact that, okay, Neil is a money hungry pig. I think it's the, the idea that you take control of your businesses and your investments. Oh, they look, there they. We even have one of me on here. Buy the plush version of Neil. Yeah. <laughs> but 
it's you being able to take control of your situation and understanding what's going on and actually acting on it. Um, and again, not to rag on you or anything like that. I think this is just something we disagreed on. And like, obviously you're doing very well with what you're doing. You're, like you said, you're absolutely crushing the sales, you're picking up units like it's no, nobody's business. You have development sites. Like, oh, Neil, thanks, but, No, but seriously, like you're absolutely killing it. But it's just a different way of looking at things. And again, it's an objective-based thing as well. Also, it's, it's something you have to continue to revisit. I mean, three years ago, I didn't have children. Yeah. Right now I got kids and, you know, you start to reevaluate all these things. I just will never stop working. I like to work. Yeah. Um, but it's an old adage, work smarter, not harder and, and so on. One of the challenges that, and I get really attached to my buildings. I know you don't quite feel the same. I know we both love the creative element of it. Yeah. But you're more inclined to sell stuff. I can tell already just how you're talking about than, than I am. Like it would break my heart. Like my place on Portland Street, that was like my first baby, the one I always wanted. I did it up and man, it would break my heart to sell that thing. I but, think, I don't know. You know what it is? I think it's because I came into this with sites set so high. That's something I was going to say too. Set your sites high in my opinion if you want to grow. Oh, totally. My sites are set so high that anything that's somewhat small, I, I just don't, I don't get any attachment to it. Like it's just, like I said, it's a rung in the ladder. It's a step on the way. Like I don't, I look at it. There's not really any excitement. Even these most recent ones, like I got a good deal on them or this, I just firmed up on a building on Friday, a 19 unit. I firmed up on that. I'm excited that I got a good deal, but I already don't give a crap about the building. I just want to get the, it done, turned over, get more people living in the property, add some units so there's more space, and then just keep moving on. Like I don't – it's really exciting. It's the first building that feels like a real apartment building, and there's that moment. But I, I don't take the time to look at it, which is bad. You know what? You should honestly – Yeah. You, you should step back victories. and yeah, celebrate the victories. Yeah. So – and that's something I definitely don't do. And so that's why I'm like I don't care if the numbers make sense or it's, it's in the, I need to sell it because I need the mental bandwidth or whatever. I'm changing directions. It's this is go. this is another good chance or to to segue here because we talked about how everything we're doing here is success focused yeah. and we come at it from real estate but that's not all we care about that's not all we're interested in as you alluded to. Yeah. So slight pivot here what does success mean to you? So for me I have a fairly shallow I say <laughs> fairly shallow definition of what success is. But for me right now, it's like kind of financial freedom to be able to do whatever I want to do. And that doesn't necessarily mean go buy a Rari or any of those kind of things. But I want to be able to like – I was chatting with someone last night. Like I want to go experience the culture in a totally different place. It's like I would love to go move to Japan for like six months and just go there. I don't know anyone. I don't know anything about anything. Like I know zip. But I have to go there. I have to reinvent myself. I have to learn all these new things. Like the that mental stimulation would be amazing. And like – there's two ways to do it. I mean, you can obviously do it and just try and scrounge by by getting a job there and all that. And there's merit to doing that. I'm sure that's a very fun experience. Unfortunate for me, I don't limit my like, not limit, but I want to do things on both ends. So I'll go there and I want to be able to do it like Japan from like a grassroots level. But I also want to know what it's like to be in Japan. Like, okay, I'm a middle class person there. I can actually afford to do yeah. everything. So I want, and I want to be able to do that at all levels. Like I want to go. To yeah, anywhere. you want to do the backpacking, and you want to do the all inclusive. Exactly. Right. I hear you, man. And yeah. that, so that's I want to all like that's my. We were in. Um, I was in Peru during COVID, and they had this really crazy mountain biking experience, and it was X whatever amount of dollars, and it was overpriced for what it was. Realistically, they're driving up a mountain with a bike and they're dropping you off. But I was like, the chance of me ever being on this mountain again. I love mountain biking. On a side note, to me ever be on this mountain again and to do this is slim to none. And so I want to do this in this moment and I don't want to feel any hesitation due to the financial limitation. Uh, and so I want to have that ability to do things like that. Yeah, that's when you they talk about 
wealthy people and, and what do they spend their money on, they started spending them on experiences and, and memories and stuff like that. So that's, you want to get to the point where you can have all those. Exactly. Yeah. And right now, that's my objective. I'm sure as I, as I get older and I maybe have a family and kids and things like that, those things change and I'll be, probably be able to pass it on to my kids. But Yeah, I don't know that, that they do because the, the change becomes those experiences and those things that you want to do, you maybe want to take your family with you, right? Like that's yeah. – you want to be able to do anything that – would be good for your family. And a lot of that is not material things. It is experiences and, you know, learning about the world and, and feeling that you can give your kids things that maybe you didn't have, right? As cliche as that is. To add on to it, I think like a big one is maybe having control of my time. A hundred percent. I think that's what it is. Like normally when someone asks you a question like that, Neil, you would then reciprocate the reciprocate the question at some point. Uh, <laughs> I, was with, well, I, was, I was about to ask now. I was that about to ask season. you. Yeah, like so my thought on on what success means is getting to the point where your money works for you independent of you, mm-hmm. right? Your money, your wealth is there. It operates and grows independent of your daily labors, right? That is the freedom that, that you speak of and yep. then being able to – what do you do with that extra money? It's that you've bought back your time and if you have to kind of concede some of that profits, you're essentially purchasing your own – freedom of time. And you and I are the same. We'll always work. But yeah, being able to do some of these other things and provide for, for my family and not have to say no to anything. Whereas right now I have to say no to stuff all the time. And it's mainly re- based on schedule. It's yeah. not based on money. It's based on schedule. That's what I'm having to say no to things for right now. And so I need to get to the point where my success financially allows me to have you know, the ultimate success of not having to say no to things, not only just not because of money, but for time as well. Yeah. yeah. The bandwidth and then to be present, to be able to enjoy those things. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe in this whole balanced life. That's not what I'm talking about because I think if you're going to do something, do it 110%. That's always the way I am. Yeah. Um, and that means if you're going to spend your uh, free time doing something, do the best. Do the best things available. Yeah. yeah. Always to do the best to your capacity. Treat yourself. Exactly. Treat yourself. Go to the best of your capacity because I think you'll get the most satisfaction out of it that way too. Knowing that you put your best foot forward and that you get a result from it. Like it's, I think it's more fun than like kind of doing something kind of half-assed and then getting a result from it and trying to be like, oh, well, I only did half-assed. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is, you know, finances are, you know, limited for some people. And I think we probably can think back of times maybe when you're in university and you were on some trip and like, damn, man, I couldn't experience all of this place because of this reason. I lived in Europe for a year when I was doing my master's Jealous. and I got to travel around a little bit, but I was traveling around on on a dime, right? Yeah. And there was tons of experiences that I had to forego, yeah. right? And you know, hopefully my kids don't have to make those, have that opportunity cost of like, well, I can't do that because I've got to do this and so on. But I'm going to give a douchey example maybe. maybe okay. we'll oh, bring it yeah. on, Neil. Okay. I think uh, I was high school, drove down to New York with some friends. I actually have his third wheel. Super great time, enjoyable. And the whole time we're there, there's helicopters flying around over top. And I was just like, the whole time I was like, man, I want to go in one of those helicopters. But it's expensive. Mm-hmm. I went back last year. Things have been really good. Aww. Neil got his helicopter Neil ride got in New York helicopter. City. It was very good neat. You, Recommend it to anyone. Yeah. It was doors off. Very interesting experience to fly around Central Park and over the buildings with no doors. But uh, no I was doors, up there geez. and I was like... This is neat. I am glad I did this. Yeah. And I'm, I have no reason to go back now, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, it was just that same sort of thing. So I think that's kind of what we're speaking into. Do we want to get into with that being said? I think we want to touch on some more topics in general. So like 
outside of just real estate. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good point to kind of pivot and bring in some of these other things because people are having success in so many different avenues and doing so many different things. I mean, we were talking about one before the show started and you and I are very open to the ideas like, listen, there's no one right way to do anything. No, yeah. There's not one right way to become successful through real estate. Just like there's not one right way to build wealth, even though real estate's a big part of it regardless, I think. Yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. you agree because you got to put that money Almost somewhere. But I think it'd be cool to talk to some people who are doing different things and we'd love to hear what other people have and you know, what ideas people have come across to make some I don't I guess money, but also other things that go along with that. So success. Success, success man. In everything you do. Success. Um, Expansion. Anyways, that's all we got Growth. for today. All right. Good chat. Yeah. I feel like this was a good wandering road that we took here today. It was. Not very specific. But Did you change your mind on buying that eight unit at all? Any regrets? Um any regrets on other purchases? No. I failed. I failed. I failed. No, but this is a continuing process of me inching towards what are hopefully going to be some significant changes. I hope to, I'll put it this way. I don't regret it now, but I hope to regret it in 12 months. I was going to say, I need to turn this into a competition. I need to turn this Chandler into like that. Yeah, I, yeah, I like that too. Yeah. But I think I need to turn this into a competition with Chandler and then, and <sighs> then he would, he would get into it. That's, a, you're, you're very right. That's, that's the thing. Like, so even you doing your thing, yeah. that motivates me through competition. Yeah to either get more units or pivots like, man, if Neil thinks that's too small, like I should think the same, right? And that's, that's a great yeah. thing to surround yourself with people like that to motivate you. 100%. So, thanks, man. No worries. Oh, yeah. I got you. See you next time. Thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening. Check us out. YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, every possible platform. We're everywhere now. We We're are everywhere. everywhere. Neil's on OnlyFans. I'm on OnlyFans. <laughs> Top 5%. All right. Let's get out thanks, of here. Thanks, guys. Hey!